So, any questions tonight? Yes. The other evening we were talking about how the Navajriya Leva of Chaitanya displayed more the material component, the sweetness of Chaitanya's Leva. But I was always under the impression that the kind of uh, pinnacle of Chaitanya's Leva and the thing that kind of fulfilled his internal reason for coming was um, at the end of his Sanyas Leva with Raman Rai and Svaru Damodar. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering when he had and when he tasted the mood, the internal mood of Radharani, the Bhag Radharani, and the Navajri Leela must be satisfied there as well. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a good question, and it's, at the same time it's a very deep theological question relative to our uh, tradition. And so I try to speak about it in the broader way to bring in our, our guests as well. So the question is about the person of Sri Chaitanya who appeared in West Bengal about 500 years ago and who is the um, figure around whom our spiritual lineage and tradition uh, is formed in one sense and in in a larger sense, in a larger circle, it's centered around Krishna because, and people may be more familiar with Krishna, because Chaitanya was centered on Krishna. I've recently been writing something about um, the historicity of Krishna. In other words, how traceable the person of Krishna as a so-called real person, if you will, historically speaking, is um, in a modern world we we tend to think along certain lines uh, as to what is true, what is real, and what is not real. Whether those lines are really as definitive as we might like to think is another another question, hmm? or is questionable. Um, and the the Western revelation of Christianity. And the Abrahamic religions, well, let's, let's say Christianity, that's uh, that's centered on, on 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 Christ. It seems to give a lot of the attention to the historical fact of Jesus, and uh, they um, make a strong case in their minds. The Christian uh, apology in Christian apologetics um, for the, the, again, historical fact of Jesus and more so the fact of the uh, the miracle of the um, resurrection, rising from the dead, was is the miracle that Christianity sells. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mean that in a derogatory way necessarily, but um, there were many miracle makers, if you will, and superstitious and uh, not well thought out um, spiritual ideas throughout Europe, pagan Europe, and pagan Europe and all its um, gods, goddesses, fairies, witches, um, shamans, and... um, and, uh, and so forth, we're all really put out of business by this one overarching miracle that someone had risen from the dead. Hmm. Uh, it didn't, hasn't played out that well in India. <laughs> it hasn't been as marketable there, <laughs> where you have all types of mystics, uh, miracle men and women, but you also have a very strong uh, tradition of philosophy. Hmm. Um, that dwarfs kind of pagan uh, uh, belief systems and and so forth. Um, um, even though it's it's different than the Western enterprise of philosophy and the way it's developed and where it's ended up. Um, still, we even find in that. Uh, nonetheless, the, even the Western enterprise of philosophy, 
does at times um, look uh, outside of itself, let's say with regard to the nature of consciousness, which is a hot topic uh, in philosophy these days, uh, nowhere more outside of itself, if at all, than uh, to to Eastern philosophy uh, for some insights about consciousness, which is so much the the central uh, subject of all of the sacred texts of India. There, there, there are texts of revelation, Eastern revelation, um, that are uh, not really as much books about the need to believe as they are about the nature of being. Hmm? Uh, so, anyway, deep thought and miracles to go with it, <laughs> if you will, and... Uh, uh, and uh, examples of yogis who have buried themselves and and you know, come up being unburied weeks later and so forth. I suppose that's like entering the tomb, dying, and coming back, and so forth. But at any rate, this is this this would obviously be um, a big miracle if someone died and and came back. Um, of course, the way Western philosophy works these days, they still wouldn't believe it. It's, well, maybe he thinks he came back. Maybe we think he came back, and, but it, do we really know that we? You know, it gets really convoluted, uh, unfortunately. In, uh, in, in I think largely because of the attachment to a materialistic uh, perspective. That's hmm? uh, it's become un- unreasonable, hmm? and. Um, and a, and a strong bias, a bias arising out of good reason, out of evidence that has retired other superstitious ideas and so forth, and brought things to humanity that have made life easier, and some argue better in some respects, we'd have to agree, better and so forth. Um, but all of that, nonetheless, is catering to the material sense of self and the idea of improving it, which... Um, only goes so far. I mean, of course, you can try to freeze it, and I've heard recently that there are many Hollywood stars that have invested quite a bit in freezing, um, you know, their remains, and uh, I guess the idea is becoming more, you know, plausible. Um, it's it's thought in the scientific community of bringing them back in some way. There was a recent movie I saw on the plane about, um, it's called Transcendence. Hmm. I heard about him. I mean, the guy died, and they uploaded his consciousness, so so-called. We have a, a different definition of consciousness, but they uploaded it somehow, and so he remained alive. Anyway, so these kind of things are out and about with robots on Mars, and and robots taking over the workforce in some countries, and so on and so forth. Of course, with regard to artificial intelligence, I've made the point um, previously that uh, some more learned persons than myself, have uh, asserted that while it's true, hmm, in this field at least, more learned than myself, uh, to the field of artificial intelligence, while it's true that we've made many gains in the field of artificial intelligence, um, they could be summed up to the attempt to touch the moon that one becomes, gets closer to by climbing in a tree. Hmm. So there's a recent movie out called Her, I think. I think it's called Her. And it's about a guy that falls in love with, you know, the lady in the GPS or something like that. This was an artist, our form of artificial intelligence. So that's pure fiction and it will be forever. <laughs> the capacity of such a robotic... There are many things, of course, that that the brain is responsible for. So it's that we think we're doing, but it's just part of the mechanism of the material body and the brain. Perception, even, for example. Computers can perceive things. And and so it's not entirely relative to consciousness. Of course, we think that consciousness animates the brain and makes it possible for it to do its computing and so on and so forth. But at any rate... Christianity sold the miracle of uh, of the uh, the uh, the Christ 
coming back from the dead, and it, ret- it retired really pagan uh, Europe. Of course, they did it with the addition of the sword and a few other things. <laughs> uh, rather, uh, you know, after the conversion of, of, of Rome and so forth. Um, I think before that, it was probably pretty noble. Um, the fortitude with which the, the Christian, early Christians, stood up for their their beliefs and so forth, and uh, were prepared to die for them. But in time, uh, you know, the way religion takes over countries by taking over the king or the president or the, or the whatever the the government, and, um, and then everybody follows. Uh, at least that's the way it would be in, in kingdoms, monarchies of the past. So when Rome converted, then so that everybody else in Rome was powerful and they fought with other parts of Europe, England, and so on and so forth. And anyway, Christianity, with miracles and a sword, uh, with money also, like you say, Muhammad with the sword, more Christians had it as well, but they had more money. And so, wholesale um, conversions. Um, but again, they didn't fare that well. They have not, even to this day, in India. It's a different world over there. And uh, it's a land of miracles and, uh, and well-reasoned, I should say, mysticism, very well-reasoned mysticism. Mm-hmm. We were talking the other morning, we've been reading in the morning from Thomas Merton, famous Christian a Catholic theologian who had a romance with the East, went to India and studied the meditation techniques there, the Hindus and the Buddhists and and uh, I was reading it in the morning uh, during the breakfast, some of his ideas about monasticism here, here, and as we have a monastic community here. He is very much served to kind of infuse um, the, uh, or inspire many uh, young, young men and women in his time to, uh, to, uh, take to monastic life in Catholicism and popularized um, Catholic monasticism in a way that, you know, it, it hadn't gotten a lot of energy um, for, for for a long, long time. Um, Merton is, you may be familiar with him, he, he, I don't know, he passed away in, not that long ago. So, a contemporary person of the 20th century. And he had a romance with the East. And there he found that they have these techniques of meditation and lifestyle and so forth that is so conducive to the contemplative type of life that, that uh, we, speaking for himself of Catholic monastics, are pursuing. And so he wanted to incorporate some of the techniques and so forth. And he thought that they were more uh, um, steeped in a tradition that that more readily afforded them the mystic uh, the experience of mysticism. So, anyway, rich uh, spiritual India, <clears throat> and um, and I uh, what well, we can liken Chaitanya, the, the kind of the person, as I say, around whom our tradition uh, centers, to the Eastern Savior, if you will. And many witnesses to the miraculous activities of his, and many, many uh, books about him, his person, character, so on and so forth. Um, but he, as I am saying, was completely absorbed in Krishna. So when speaking about Krishna, then we're talking about someone thousands of years ago, three thousand, four thousand, or is it just a mythological character? And of course, in the way he's described, he does all types of things that are better than coming back from the dead. He brings people back from the dead, actually. Uh, the, uh, like in the Kaliya, Daman Lila, and so forth. Um, when the, the cowards drank the poison from the lake, poisonous waters, and died, brought them back. and All kinds of... I mean, he's a miraculous person that does things that are... You know, you might want to put to animation. Hmm? Uh, <laughs> on the screen... Uh, uh, to do, to do justice to his, his miracles and so forth, which are so extreme, extraordinary, that he tends 
to be relegated to the realm of myth and rather than a real so-called quote-unquote person. Um, and again, the, the Christian sector, the Christian, um, the ones that deny Catholicism and so forth, those evangelical type of persons, um, uh, they uh, are very, this is a big point for them. Jesus was a real person and he really performed these miracles. Now, with regard to our tradition, that Krishna is a real person in the sense in which they determine what is real, it not, does not have as much bearing for us because we have a different criterion for real. Our criterion for the real is not um, tied to events that are observable in the objective world, the natural world. Our criterion for the real is, is, is more so that the objective world is illusory and not real in that in that all events that occur in the natural world are events that are here today but they're gone tomorrow if not tonight hmm? so how real are they in the bigger picture hmm? the sanskrit word for real is sat it means true it means enduring it means eternal hmm? it's really there and it's not going anywhere. It's not going to disappear. Why do we think, for example, that our dreams, fleeting in nature as they are at night, are not real in comparison to our waking world? Well, largely, if not only, for the reason that they're fleeting. Hmm? But in the larger picture, our lives of a scant 50, 60, 70, 100, 100 years are very fleeting also. Hmm? And they will be they will not be remembered unless you do something awful hmm? <laughs> or you do something good, and the good things that you do are 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 those things that involve what what makes a person good and and historically notable and remembered in human society? What are the good things the good things that they do if you look carefully hmm? are those people that stand for some type of sacrifice. Hmm? Uh, your, your, you know, in political realm, like your Kennedys with the speech, think not what, you can, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Ah, oh, big idea. The idea of giving rather than taking. Taking is the animal propensity that we're, unfortunately, is our default. From an evolutionary point of view, if you want to look at it like that, well, we, we come from the jungle. Hmm? and we bring it with us. Hmm? We also have intelligence, but intelligence is often used to pursue the, the jungle pursuits, unfortunately, rather than to distinguish us from the animal kingdom. Hmm? And how would the intelligence distinguish us? How would we use intelligence in such a way that it would distinguish us from the jungle? Hmm? When we use intelligence to say, no to things that might feel good to our senses, but with higher reasoning faculty we know are not good for other people, perhaps. It might not be kind to them to eat them. Hmm? It might taste good to me, but what about somebody? So when you start thinking like that, your world and you become bigger. Hmm? Well, if it's, if it's only for me, then whatever. The whole world's for me. That's one thing. But if I see, well, if I do this it may satisfy one of my senses, my tongue, my belly, but a whole other entity will die on account of it. Hmm? And I, I don't have to do that. And so some kind of kindness comes and we become bigger, hmm? is the idea. Um, so the people that are noted in society are either the bad people, the Stalins, the Hitlers, and so forth, for how, how brutal they are, how they have used intellect, if you will, to be a bigger animal, hmm? a bigger brute, the more dangerous species. That's on the one end. They'll be noted. They'll be remembered. Hmm? And then there are those who have used intellect to, become, to be bigger people, hmm? to be givers, sacrificers, whether in the realm of politics or... Um, uh, uh, 
in uh, um, social field of humanitarian acts, philanthropic, altruistic acts. And ultimately, it reaches its extreme in the mystical, in the lives of the mystics, hmm, who grow within so much that their their external and uh, necessity to draw on the natural world is, is minuscule. Hmm. So what will the advantage of all the scientific technology be to them? <laughs> that we think is improving the world. Yes, relatively speaking, as much as we've identified with something that needs improvement, even though it can never be perfect. Hmm? This material sense of self, it's dying. <laughs> Freeze it, you can try, but... <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a dying affair. Hmm? You know what the percentage of dying is? <laughs> Nowadays? <laughs> Still 100%, so... So, um, so the mystic, really, in a sense, if you want to stop dying, if you want to live forever, here's an example of living forever, in a sense. Because, why? Philosophically speaking, the mystic has stopped dying. Hmm? How is that? He, because we, when we think, say, of, speak of solving the dying problem, what we're saying is dying is a problem. Okay, and why is it a problem? Because I can't take with me things that I want or whether I will endure even is a question. That's why it's a problem. But the mystic, he or she knows by their subjective meditative experience hmm, that corresponds intersubjectivity, intersubjective correspondence not objective correspondence, because we can't take their inner experience and put it on the table and measure it and prove it like that, because it's subjective. Hmm? But there's intersubjectivity with other mystics in other traditions, even, cross-culturally. Hmm? And they have, a, they have different experiences, but they have an underlying similar experience that enables them to not make much of a world preoccupied with improving the material conditions. Hmm? as a goal and and preserving the you know the material sense of self the egoic sense of self the american sense or the indian sense and so forth they're not interested in that because they have experience according to their testimony of an enduring sense of self in the subjective world and they say the subjective world is the real world and it's a nice world. How do we know that? Because the genuine mystics, they don't want anything except one thing. Hmm? They want the fullness of the experience that they're having, that it might be shared with others. Because they're filled now with compassion. So they see, they, they don't, they live as they see, they don't see Palestinian and and Israeli or Ukrainian and Russian, they don't see like that. Hmm? One world, family, hmm? uh, they see the suffering of others as if it's their own and so forth. So I heard a materialistic famous philosopher question once, what is the use of this meditation? I mean, okay, so you, you, know, you get a little peace of mind. And, and the answer came that... that that they they step into a, enter into a well, a deep well of compassion. Now, isn't isn't this what we teach? People should be kind. Isn't that what you teach your kids? Isn't what the schools try to tell us? Isn't that what the, now they have a big scandal with the NFL because somebody guy beat up his wife, punched his wife, hmm? some football player. Hmm? And they had it on the video. So domestic abuse. And so now he's been banned from playing and the whole, the whole enterprise of, you know, it's a very macho. Yeah, he hit him hard, you know. Oh, he got a good hit there, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, it's a very, it's like the old gladiator type thing, you know, just a little, little toned down, you know. Kill him, you know. Not really, but it'd be good if we got him out of the, you know, <laughs> game and, and, and so forth. So, yeah, you know, it has its... Uh, 
problems. And, uh, and and so here are this, and these are strong guys. I'll say this guy punched out his, his, his fiance or something like that. So domestic abuse, and it was it made a big thing, and he was kicked off the team, and then they're debating about it, whether he should be allowed to play or not, so on. So anyway, uh, such as uh, the, the problems with uh, material life. So anyway, the mystic, hmm? <laughs> slight tangent there, but uh, it, he uh, uh, is, is a kind person, hmm? The animal world is, you know, is one living being is food for another, hunters and the hunted and so forth. So he has a bigger bigger picture. And compassion for all of humanity and beyond extends to the less complex forms of life as well. So this is a huge thing. And it all comes from entering deeply within the subjective world in a methodological way, in a kind of, a, as much as, kind of scientific method is the cornerstone of science. So sometimes we can call a thing that's methodological, scientific. Hmm? So yoga or spiritual practice, this is what Merton thought, they've got this method. We've got these ideas, they've got this method to arrive at the ideas that's more developed, tuned, honed, and so forth. So so the, the, this sadhana, we call it, hmm? spiritual practice. By this methodology, they experience the theory that consciousness is independent of matter for all intents and purposes. They become a very kind, loving person. They, they, they teach us by their example that the subjective world is a loving world. The subjective world is, is an enduring world because they're not concerned with dying. They're not struggling to extend their, their lives. They're not busy with that, not preoccupied with that. Now, their body is going to die, but they're not worried about it. They're not concerned about it. If they would be attacked, they might protect themselves or something like that, but it's not, you know, they're maybe living in a cave and uh, so on. And many examples of the animals who are otherwise ferocious, being friendly with them, and so on and so forth. So, so it's a loving world. We can see from from their, we can see from observable evidence of their character that they're involved in a loving world. Somewhere they're in there, and it's loving, and it shows up outside, and they have a sense that it's enduring, and so they have, they're not concerned. They're not struggling with for, for existence, competing, and so forth. And uh, and there's knowing. There's a kind of, it's a noetic bliss, noetic love. There's a knowing, hmm? a knowing that that leads them to believe they know everything. Hmm? They don't know many things. I heard of one materialistic fellow, famous atheist, he said, and, and, and we took this mystic and we put, you know, these things on his head and we measured it. And, you know, he was saying what his experience was, but he didn't know. He had no idea what he was actually experiencing. In other words, he was saying, these neurons were firing, and this neuron was firing. And I laughed. I said, no, you have no idea what he was experiencing. You think that all he's experiencing are the symptoms, the physical way in which his experience plays itself out in the brain. Hmm? Hmm. But that doesn't mean that the experience is relative to the, of consciousness, relative to the brain, which, of course, is something that they can't uh, they can't be can't be demonstrated because it's not. So it's a loving world, that subjective world. There's no competition there. There's no struggle there. It's an enduring world and it's a knowing world. Now he doesn't know many things, but he knows everything. Hmm? And I mean, some things just aren't worth knowing. <laughs> the details, right? And those details will change, too. That we knew, in a pragmatic sense, centuries past, that the planets revolved around the Earth. We knew it. It was practical. We could derive, through math, certain things from that. But then, who was it? Copernicus and... Galileo, who else was the other one? Anyway, no, no. <laughs> Copernicus was a big part of it. There's another guy, too. Anyway, they 
you know, came up with the, which was the heresy because Catholicism had taken over Europe. Um, that and they thought that the Bible said everything going around the going around the earth. I think so. Anyway, it was the heresy. So everything going around the sun. It changed, and now we could do other equations and and accomplish other pragmatic things from a human perspective. But this is not knowing. In any, this is not answering the big questions. And such things are useful in a pragmatic human sense. They may not be useful to other species. <laughs> they may be problematic for them. Some of the things that are, that work for us and we find are true, and we we do them. Um, but uh, but, they, but they don't answer the big the big questions. Hmm? They don't tell us hmm, what is consciousness, what is the subjective world, and so we feel that the subjective world is the real world, hmm? and the objective, the natural world, is it's it's real, but our perception of it is just a perception of it and it doesn't even tell us what it really is. And even modern science now has begun to agree with this. Well, you think it is out there, it's it's not what it is. So, in in the Bhagavad, it's described as maya. You cannot measure it. You cannot know it. It's endlessly mutable, transforming constantly, and so forth. But there's something that's enduring and really... The world is moving around it, not the earth, not the sun, but consciousness. Hmm? It's moving around it. Hmm? And the very observing power of consciousness hmm, on the natural world causes it to do the things that it does. From a quantum perspective, the world is probabilities. Hmm? And there have to be choices with regard to the the probabilities that arise. There's some scientific thinking like this, also that gives a place for consciousness to be causal and to be, in the sense, that which the natural world is moving around and moving around. This is what the mystics of India concluded. Hmm? And so, so, given that the subjective world is the real world, hmm, we're not so concerned with demonstrating the historical reality of the person, Krishna, in the way that people are more tied to thinking real means it has to be objectively verifiable. We think that there are many things that are not objectively verifiable that we accept as true, and if we did not, we couldn't function. Like, for example, we accept as true the fact, or the, the idea, it's really an idea. I accept as a fact the idea that I exist. I exist. When I say I exist, I mean, this is a subjective experience. I ex- What is the I? I exist. That's my personal, private experience. That personal, private, subjective experience is the basis of my whole life. And I can't prove it objectively. Hmm? You can say, well, I see you, but you don't see me. You see something going on. But what is my inner experience that, that, that is the me? I am my experience, that I exist. It can't be proved objectively in a lab, scientifically, in a third-person way. Hmm? But <laughs> we're not waiting for that to happen, be, to get up in the morning and do the things that we do. Hmm? So... This is a significant um, uh, thing that we accept is true, real, and valid that cannot be uh, demonstrated uh, by uh, third-person, objective, um, what do you call it, like closed experiment. Hmm. So, there is, at the same time, some historicity to Krishna. Hmm. So, there is historical evidence for the so-called real, in a physical uh, sense, if you will, Krishna. There's uh, archaeological evidence, there are 
that a great person, great, there's coins with Krishna and Ram on either side from you know, 200 uh, uh, second, second century before the Common Era. And um, uh, there's literature, of course, in, in, different types of literature speaking about the person of Krishna. There's archaeological evidence for the fort, the palace, the, the, the kingdom of Krishna in Dwarka that's been excavated that corresponds with the text of the Bhagavatam. So, so it has been concluded today in, in academia that, that there is a, was a historical Krishna. Okay. Now, that said, they think some people have exaggerated about him <laughs> and what he was like when they wrote about him and so forth. Because he couldn't have done all those things that are described in the books and so on. We say, of course, that 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 Krishna was a so-called, in this sense, I'm speaking about historically from modern perspective, real person, but that not everybody saw him for who he was, because it takes eyes of devotion to see, and those who saw with eyes of devotion. They could not say enough about Krishna. So they talked about him in ways to try to bring attention to him. Hmm? Is that extending the person, Krishna? Is that imagining things about him? Or is that their subjective and meditative uh, experience of Krishna that they're relating? Hmm? It is the latter, and that's valuable. Hmm? And so we don't really need the historical evidence. We have some. So we say the descriptions of Krishna, the miraculous descriptions of Krishna, are like based on a true story. Hmm? Little elaboration, but it's from the heart of those whose lives change so dramatically by his influence to be the kind of mystical persons that we're talking about that are desirable, that everybody in one sense would like to be. What, what the mystic really is, in the full sense of the term, is what everybody teaches, every human should strive to be. Hmm? But everyone thinks, but you can't be it entirely, so we'll do the best we can. Hmm? But, the, but, but the mystical tradition is one that centers only on this and saying, no, it, it is possible. It is possible to rise above human passions. Hmm? That's incredible. Hmm? That's supernatural. In itself, right? Think about it. Hmm? Human passions of greed, lust, and so on. So I heard a Christian preacher guy the other day that somebody brought my attention to on, on, on the internet. And he said, he was talking about temptation. He said, don't think I'm that I'm not tempt- tempted every day. I, I face temptation every day. Um, once I was at an event and there was a Christian, evangelical Christians who had a table and they said, hey, we've got a, a questionnaire for you. Would you like to answer? I said, okay. And so we have one question to ask you, and we just want your straight yes or no answer, and uh, and then we'll give you a prize. So they said, okay, what's the question? So they said, have you ever sinned? Of course, then you're supposed to go, no. Here's the prize, is the Bible. It tells you about the one person who's never sinned. Hmm? That only one person can be perfect, and that's Jesus, and so forth. Hmm? Of course, some people say, he sinned, and then he got perfect. There's that movie, The Temptation of Christ, that was popular three years ago. Anyway, our teaching is that, and I think it's the Christ's teaching too, that Christian means to become Christ-like. It means to become to rise above the human passions. That's supernatural. And there's what spiritual life yoga is for, to control the senses, to control the mind. Again, we're moving away from animality hmm? towards humanity and to play out the humanity to the full extent we come to spirituality. From animality to humanity, humanity is like the in-between between anima. Humanity is like the in-between between animality and spirituality. Hmm? So we could turn with our intelligence to the animal side or toward the spiritual side. And we become famous in either way. <laughs> As a big brute or as a, as, 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 as a person who, survival of the kindest type of theory. Hmm? Um, the fittest is the kindest, the most generous. Hmm? 
And so, we go to the person of Sri Chaitanya, as I said, our tradition is centered around him, and he was preoccupied with Krishna. Now, this is something else to help us appreciate the truth about Krishna. Is Krishna real? Hmm? Well, how can someone like Sri Chaitanya, who was a renunciate, meditate on Krishna and the divine leelas, the play of Krishna, as described in the, in the, te- in the sacred texts, be preoccupied with that hmm? and become the extraordinary, valuable, from a human perspective, hmm? noble, dignified, great, sacrificing uh, person who has risen above human passions, how would that be possible if what he was meditating on was not real? Hmm? It was just a false, some story. Hmm? So the person of Sri Chaitanya, who is only appeared only 500 years ago, much earlier, much later than, than Jesus, and, and, and that, from that point of view, more easily, um, he is a historically proven figure. I'm not saying that Jesus isn't historically proven people, but the, the nearer people are in time to us, the easier it is to prove from a historical point of view, a modern historical point of view, that they existed and they were like this and they did this and they did that and so forth. So 500 years compared to what, 2,000 years or... Yeah, 2,100 years ago. Um, it's easier to trace out. So he's very clearly a real, so to speak, historical person meditating on an unreal, false, illusory person, made-up person to become, no, to, be, to become the, such a real person, so real, so large, if you will, so, so I mean, he's real. He got real, hmm? and, he, and and so a celebrated person who he did it, kind of person, hmm? and, and what did he do? Rose above. He demonstrated it above the human. Pa- he well, he was he didn't sin. <laughs> he rose above the human passions and had compassion for the world and so forth, and gave a method for for uh, attaining the same oneself and made it clear this is the goal hmm? this is the goal not like one person becomes good and, and, and everybody else just says I believe in him and they become yeah, that's their that's a theory and some people like that I, don't, I hope it works for them and they have some good people in, in the group there and there are some good mystics from Catholicism too times gone by but uh, teachings get distorted over time and, and whatnot. Uh, but anyway, I, this is our tradition, and it's centered on this person, Sri Chaitanya. He lived in Nadia, and in Nadia, this is an idyllic uh, realm on earth in West Bengal that um, we think is kind of a physical, if you will, kind of manifestation of a a a a, a realm within the subjective world within consciousness. Hmm? It's kind of like the Platonic idea. And Plato got, you know, Plato, Greek, as much as the Western world, Plato is the, is the father of the whole Western philosophy. It's been said that all philosophy is a footnote to Plato. Hmm? Uh, that's the whole Western perspective. But Greece is like right there. As far as, it's as far east you can go and still be west. Hmm? Hmm? And one, interestingly enough, of the very powerful archaeological pieces of evidence as to the person of Krishna is the Heliodorus column, which was established by a Greek ambassador to a Greek king in India. And this column was erected and it's established there that, it, 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 that the kingdom, this Greek kingdom, had converted to Vaishnavism. And they referred to Krishna... Vasudev Krishna on the thing as the god of gods and uh, and so forth. So the, 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 the um, so point is that Greek Greece is informed somewhat by India. In fact, if you look at the um, Neoplatonic uh, 
ideas in Europe and so forth, they very much have correspondence with, with Vedanta of, of India and so on. So the father of Western philosophy is, is a little influenced by the East, we would say. But anyway, this father of Western philosophy, Plato, his idea, of course, is that there is a world of substance that this world are, is like like a reflection of or something like that. Hmm? And the, that's the real world. It's a non-physical, non-psychic, hmm? trans-natural world of mathematical formulas, something like that. As we would say, mantras are sound formulas that have a corresponding subjective reality to them that by invoking you can enter into that at reality. Hmm? And this is an idea that some people like Roger Penrose, a huge, huge figure in, uh, in physics and science, uh, admits in his book, what is it, Shadows something, hmm, that, hmm, that he believes in platonic world, hmm? non-physical platonic world inhabited by mathematical formulas and something like this. So, this nadi is a world like that. It has a physical manifestation. And Chaitanya Devas appears in that world and it and he is a, is a Godhead kind of figure. Right? Um, um, Avatar, so we say. Let's just keep it simple. <laughs> um, so, he he, he in, and he moves outside of that, um, as the history demonstrates, for sharing what he's about. Hmm? And so the place, main place that he goes is Puri, Jagannath Puri. Hmm? And there he shares what he's about. And he shares it by way of, um, by his own example. In other words, he teaches, it's very complex, but he, he teaches that he, he exemplifies hmm, a teaching that corresponds with what he's actually all about. Hmm? He's all about the love of, love of Krishna, hmm? love of Radha for Krishna. And, and at the same time, he's all about teaching about that. So he, he comes out of this idyllic world of Nadia. He goes to Jagannath Puri, hmm? And there he teaches how to enter into that world by his own example. So that realm is the goal. And there in that realm, Krishna and Chaitanya, so there is the experience in this deep in the subjective world of an intimacy with our source. An intimacy. Um, we're, if we were to say, refer to ourselves as finite, and the God it is infinite, for there to be intimacy, somehow that, that would not be possible. If I was infinite and you were finite and you realized it, you'd say, oh my God, and move back. And you would feel, I'm so finite. Hmm? What it means to be finite will be realized by the finite in the presence of the infinite. Hmm? So in order for there to be intimacy between ourselves, the finite and the infinite, between this, our, ourselves and our source, hmm, the source needs to take on a finite-like appearance, hmm, create kind of a spiritual illusion. Hmm. But it's not really illusion, because if we want an intimate connection with our source, hmm, then that's very charming to our source idea. Hmm. And so, then the source makes it possible by, it, it, it almost becomes possible by the desire, by the nature of our approach. Therefore it said Krishna is, is overwhelmed by, by, by affection, by love, hmm? by bhakti. Hmm? And so, this experience of intimacy with the God is, is what we find in Nadia, with relation to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his preoccupation with Krishna. In Jagannath Puri, we don't find that in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu because there he's assuming the role of teaching hmm, about that realm and what he experienced in that realm. And he experienced the height of what he's teaching about in the kirtan, hmm, in, in, the, in the house of 
of Shiva's Thakur. That house of Shiva's corresponds with the Rasalila Stali of, hmm, of, of the Braj. There he experienced the whole, full with Gadadhar and so forth and his internal associates. This uh, uh, Rasakirtan. So that was part of your question. He experiences it there. Hmm? Nightly, if you will, in the Kirtan. Hmm? And he teaches how to experience it into there by going to Puri. And in Puri then, as a, as a student of what he's about, so to speak, for the sake of teaching by example, he ascends to this height of mysticism that in one sense is, is, is attractive, but he as a person in that position cannot, we cannot get too intimate with him because he's just too gone, too much of a mystic. And the descriptions of his character and his ecstasy and so forth are very extraordinary. There's no figure in the religious history of the world who is a, more embodies religious and spiritual ecstasy and the details of the ecstasy are explained in, the, in many of the texts written by the witnesses about him and it's, it's very extraordinary melting and, uh, and coming back to shape and uh, it's very <laughs> very extraordinary and this is the science of this also ecstasy is just a word but you study the books of our tradition like Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu what is Bhav what is Bhav means ecstasy this kind of Bhav that kind of Bhav Bhav Abhas a shadow of, a reflection of Bhav only a shadow of it this type of Bob, that type of Bob, like a whole book about Babas, about ecstasy. You won't find anywhere. Hmm? This is one of the one of the contributions of our tradition. Uh, a, a, a very kind of a method for examining ecstasies, reflections, partial manifestations of, of ecstasy, and so forth. So he, the ecstasy that he that he uh, personified was um, ex- extraordinary. Hmm? And awe-inspiring, so it, it causes some, some distance. But in the inner ecstasy, then some teaching comes out also. Hmm? As he goes in and he has some attendance and the teaching comes out and so forth. And so that height there is the sadhaka, the practitioner is meant to go through different stages and come to this. Hmm? And then go so far within that he comes out in Nadia, in that subjective idyllic world hmm, where Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Krishna are intimately associated with. Like you can't intimately associate with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu when he's uh, fall, swallowing over his wound, unconscious, or even as a sannyasi, as a renunciate. Yes. He's not part of the group, so to speak. In Nadi, he's part of the group. Hmm. Maybe you can go with me, my pandit, your friend who lives at Jagannath. Mishra's house with Vishwam Bharat to Kirtan tonight, something like that. Hmm. You understand? Does that answer your question? And hopefully brings you in a little bit to our discussion. Very interesting topics. Hmm. All right. What is the time? Okay. Anything else? Any comment? Uh, need for clarification on anything. Was it good? It's because of you. Because of you. And I went, if you weren't here, that would not have happened. So we pay our respect to you. Thank you very much. Sri Gauri Vaishnava Guru Paramparaki Jai Or Nityananda Ki Jai Or Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai